This is Small Cap Stocks Today, your best source for information on small cap stocks coast to coast with your host, Dave Donlin. Now, from the Stock Investor Daily Studios, here is Dave Donlin. And thank you once again for joining us. I'm your host, Dave Donlin. This is Small Cap Stocks Today podcast. We have a special guest joining us from the Fox Business Network today. I think a lot of people out there listening are very familiar with Fox Business Network, also known as FBM. It is a financial news channel delivering real-time information across all platforms that impact both Main Street and Wall Street. Companies are headquartered in New York the business capital of the world, of course, and FBN launched in October 2007 is the leading business network on television, topping CNBC and Business Day viewers for the second consecutive year. The network is available in more than 80 million homes in all markets across the U.S. Owned by Fox Corporation, Fox Business Network has bureaus in Chicago, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C. Today, we are joined by Jackie DeAngelis. Jackie is a correspondent for Fox Business. Jackie has a great background in the financial markets, having worked for CNBC and Yahoo Finance. And let's talk to Jackie right now. Jackie, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, of course, Fox Business, everybody's very familiar with the channel. Uh, I follow it actually quite frequently and, and your reporting as well. Glad to have you on the program. Thanks so much for, uh, for being here today. Why don't you, uh, I guess, start off by talking a little bit about the markets. What's going on? What's your take on what's going on in the markets right now? Where are we at right now, basically six months into the year? Uh, my take on where we are, first of all, very good to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Um, but my take on the markets right now is, look, you know, we've experienced some volatility. And that's as a result of what has been going on in Washington. You have a president who's trying to implement change. Um, the way he's trying to do it is not always um, conventional. And so that's taken people and investors certainly by surprise. Um, but you've got the Dow back up over 26,000 right now. It regained a lot of the ground that it lost with those um, fears circulating over potential tariffs being imposed on Mexico. And investors right now are saying, okay, a bunch of the problems that we were worried about are off the table. The Mexico issue has gone away. USMCA looks like it probably will be ratified. Um, you know, the president's really still looking at tensions with China, but we, we bake that into our forecast. Oh, and by the way, you've got a Federal Reserve that says it stands ready. It's watching these situations closely and it will cut interest rates if it has to. So in some senses, the market has an insurance policy with the Fed. Um, and so it's less worried about some of the dynamics that it's been focused on this year. Interesting. Yes, I, I do see that there's some conjecture out there right now with some people saying that the Fed really should cut rates already. And uh -huh. it's probably a two-pronged question to you as far as what is your take on the Fed? Do you think Powell and the Fed uh, potentially will be cutting rates before the year is over? And do you think that there is, when you talk about fears in the market, obviously, people have been talking about recessions here for a long time. Even though you know the growth is is continuing to go on in the GDP side, more jobs being created, et cetera, et cetera. What's your take on possibility of a recession? And uh, you know the Fed, do you think they will essentially lower interest rates before the year is over? Let's start with the Fed. I do think we're going to get uh, a rate cut. This, you know, there's some market participants that will tell you they're pricing in two, maybe three. 
Um, that could be slightly aggressive. Remember, Powell only raised rates four times last year. That was um, a lot for the market to digest. But I can't see him taking, you know, three three of those back, basically, by cutting three times. But I think the market will get one rate cut at some point, depending on how things go. Look, I think the Fed chair is trying to do his best to um, look at the market dynamics out there to stabilize things, really realizing that maybe, you know, he did put his foot on the gas um, a little bit, you know, uh, heavy last year. Um, so he may take one back, but I think he's going to be watching very closely. I, I don't think that the president is controlling the Fed, even though he has criticized Jerome Powell. Um, they are two, you know, the markets, the presidency, the Fed is an independent body and everything is, um, you know, operating as it should, but they're also all parts of a machine that do need to sort of listen to each other and watch each other and, and see what's happening. So that's where we stand um, on the Fed portion of it. On the recession portion, I would say um, the odds of a recession were greater last year than they were this year. Um, generally, investors seem to be pretty optimistic, as you said, that GDP print for the first quarter, even though it was revised down 3.1%, still very, very strong. Manufacturing in this uh, country is still very strong. And what we've been hearing from um, companies has been positive commentary, with the exception that they're worried about China. So that still is sort of the elephant in the room and um, the issue that's outstanding that remains to be seen. If a deal can't be struck with China um, by the end of the summer, by the early fall, investors are going to start to get impatient. You're going to start to see the market sell off. And if that begins to happen, you know, that sort of puts the wheels in motion um, to potentially start to see that that turn into a recession. True. I totally agree with you and, and follow exactly where you're coming from on that. Obviously, China is, a, is like you said, the elephant in the room. And I'm fascinated with what's going on with that, with the, the whole Chinese tariff thing. Um, let's talk about that briefly. Uh, as far as the, the situation with the tariffs on China, how do you think that's affecting the markets now? And, and you know, if a deal does get done, and it sure seems to me, at least on my end, that a deal would need to be done from the Chinese part, from everything I've been hearing. I mean, you look at the Chinese market right now, they've been pumping all kinds of stimulus into their market. Um, I, I saw, I think it was Donald Luskin on Fox Business uh, the other day talking about they are looking at their first recession ever in the history of China if they don't, you know, have a tariff deal. Don't know if that, how true that is or what your take on that is. But Talk about how it's affecting the markets right now. It doesn't seem to me like it's really having any kind of a really serious impact. And it, I would think that if there's a, an agreement done, like you said on the timetable you're talking about with the G20 around the corner, that there is uh, probably a prospect, don't you think, of the market actually taking that very favorably? Yes, I do. And I think basically... You know, I think China is in a position where it needs to do business with the United States and we need to do business with China. So both sides are incentivized here. But you're right. Um, the Chinese economy has been slowing. And remember, everybody always says the numbers that they report are even, you know, inflated um, from where analysts really think that they are. So even the fact that, that they've been reporting a slowdown um says a lot. You know, you have to take those numbers with a grain of salt. I think they're going to be very incentivized to work with us. However, I think the problem reached last time was that the market got a little ahead of itself. It was a little too aggressive. And it thought, 
you know, it had a deal on the table and it priced a deal in before, um, it was really locked down. You know, I lived in Asia, um, at one point in my life and I was able to really observe and immerse myself in the Chinese culture. I lived in Beijing and, and really just see what this culture was all about. It is a very different mindset. It's a very different way of thinking coming from the Chinese point of view. And so the negotiations aren't just about the dollars and cents and, and how the deal looks, but there's saving face. There's, you know, explaining, making concessions. And um, ultimately, some of the trade advisors from the Chinese delegation were able to make some of those negotiations. But I think when they went back with the deal, um, you know, whoever they had to present it to, whether it was the president himself um, or higher members of the cabinet, you know, had some issues with what was negotiated. So that's always something to think about. Still, you mentioned the G20. It's at the end of the month and it's an opportunity for um, for uh, President Xi and President Trump to sit down again and have some conversations to get the ball moving forward. Um, ultimately, they are the ones in charge. So I think that's the best conversation to have uh, between those two parties rather than the delegates. Um, you know, I think we'll see a deal. Um, I think the president, as evidenced in how he negotiated with Mexico, is not going to accept a bad deal. And um, I think that that's going to be, you know, something investors need to think about, that he he may take his time with this to make sure that he gets the right deal for the market. And now that the market is willing to wait potentially through the summer, um, I don't really think there's as much of a rush at the moment. Mm -hmm. With us uh, today is our special guest, uh, Jackie DeAngelis. Jackie is formerly with CNBC and Yahoo Finance. She is now a correspondent for Fox Business. Jackie, again, so great to have you with us. Just want to uh, touch on a couple more subjects. Um, mergers and acquisitions. Want to kind of get your feeling on what's going on. Uh, interesting what's going on right now in the oil and gas sector between Occidental and Chevron for and, and Adarco. Uh, what effect do you think it will have long term for the oil and gas industry? Look, I think the oil and gas industry has been changing phenomenally since um, the shale boom started. You know, we're looking at the volatility in oil prices today, for example, as a result of uh, those tankers being attacked in the uh, uh, in the Gulf of Oman. And you saw a 2% move in oil prices today, which was nothing. In, back in the day when you would see um, instability in the Middle East, oil prices could spike as much as 10% in one day off a move like that. What that tells you is that the U.S. is a major player in terms of its production, and it's changed the dynamics globally. We're producing 12.3 million barrels a day. That's more than Saudi Arabia. It's more than Russia. Um, we are the world's largest producer. And there was a point when I never thought you'd be able to say that. So to bring that analysis full circle um, back to mergers and acquisitions with the Occidental deal, um, this has been a st space that's been consolidating. The oil industry with lower prices has faced its challenges also, right? Getting more out of the ground is wonderful, but demand has to be there to meet it. So uh, the shale producers, big oil, everybody involved has had to become more nimble. And uh, a merger in this space provides opportunity for synergies. It provides opportunity for smarter expansion opportunities and use of capital. And that's what these companies need to do to stay competitive when you've got an oil price at the peak of the season that's just around $50 right now. Historically speaking, in terms of the averages, that is very low. 
On, as far as mergers go too, on the consumer side, we're also looking at a uh, possible merger between uh, T-Mobile and Sprint. That's something obviously everybody listening to could potentially impact them. Uh, your take on that as far as, is it good for investors, consumers? There's understanding that it potentially could be approved as soon as in the next 90 days. Again, good for consumers, good for business. What do you think? I think it's good for business. Um, the same reason that M&A is, is good really in any other sector, like we just discussed in energy. But I would say, um, you know, the potential with this or the argument and the pushback is going to be from the consumer standpoint that it reduces competitiveness, you know, especially in the technology space. Um, and I, I sort of lump wireless um, and telco in there. Um, right now, you're looking at companies that have amassed large amounts of power. Um, when you look at the Amazons, the Googles, the Apples, the Facebooks of the world, Netflix too, the Fang stocks per se. Um, and so the issue is on everybody's radar right now about how these companies are doing business, how much power they wield, how much competition there is in the space. And if they've even, you know, created, um, a field where where they've basically knocked out competition before it could innovate and, and arise. And I think the merger between T-Mobile and Sprint sort of goes back to that in the wireless carrier space as well. Um, you know, consumers want options when it comes to who's providing service. When you um, consolidate and create synergies like this, there are less options. And then, you know, if, if service isn't necessarily up to snuff. There's not that much you can do about it. So synergies are good for business, not necessarily great for consumers. And um, it's something that, you know, obviously the FTC looks at very closely and, and something that should be considered before approval is granted. Absolutely. And that's the, the T-Mobile and Sprint merger, potential merger we're talking about there. Last subject for you, Jackie. Really interested to get your take on this. Since you're dealing with the markets on a daily basis and, and stocks and all kinds of factors going in, we, we've been talking about a host of different issues today on our interview here. There's a story out where Colorado's marijuana revenue has surpassed a billion dollars. I mean, what is your take on cannabis in the public sector. We have uh, the largest company out there is a, a company called Canopy Growth, which I believe is trading in the mid 40s. My reason for me bringing that up is because there it seems to me as though there is a, a, a market out there, um, perhaps a, a big market for these types of companies to be in the public sector, uh, generate revenues and, and actually make money for investors. Where do you come from on that? And what, what's your real feel from being in the markets really since this started happening out there? It is such an exciting space for investors and there is such amazing potential for growth. Look, whether you believe in the legalization of marijuana or you believe in the CBD products, which don't necessarily have the impact of, you know, making consumers or users um, feel that high, but they do have the medicinal effects, the calming and soothing effects um, of marijuana, um, you know, for treatment purposes. And this is an industry that's not going away. And I think a lot of states are looking at this. We've been talking about this probably for the last couple of decades. You know, if you can't control the substances, then you might as well, at least when they're not legalized, then you might as well legalize them and tax them. States are going to be able to generate a lot of revenue like this. And the companies that are growing the product are going to be able to grow and, and do really well as, um, you know, as more states adopt this policy. 
Having said that, Bruce Linton, CEO of Canopy Growth, um, was on with Stuart Varney one day when I was um, sitting and involved in the discussion in the panel. And Bruce told us, he said, the industry needs to be regulated. Right now, there are so many problems with quality, um, control. Consumers don't necessarily know what they're getting. There are so many of these different um, pot and CBD companies that it can be very confusing. So the same way, you know, Facebook developed in this sort of innocuous way and now um, is facing all these inquiries about its business and privacy and and all of these issues arose that couldn't be anticipated. There's going to be a lot of that in the pot space as well. So um, people are definitely excited. Investors are excited in buying these companies and getting in because of the growth. Um, you know, but it's also a little buyer beware too uh, to kind of see how things settle down in the industry. And, and, you know, that's not a tomorrow answer. That's just going to take time. Sure. And that's a great point on the regulation side. I mean, we're seeing even on the CBD side where, uh, they're having some issues, uh, certain companies with, with products where it's got too much THC in the right. CBD product. So, I mean, regulation, absolutely totally agree with you on that. Interesting take that you have on that, Jackie. Uh, you're on Fox Business. You're a correspondent on there. When typically are you on? When can we look for you? <laughs> um, it's hard to say. I just started okay. here about two months ago, so oh, my schedule okay. changes a lot. Um, and I'm trying a little bit of everything, um, which has been fantastic. It's been it's been so fun to be able to um, report in various settings and have you know more breadth to my coverage. Um, but throughout the business day, usually um, you know between the hours of, of eight and six, I would say you can find me popping on, and also on Fox News Channel occasionally too. I was going to say that sounded like a sly plug to try to watch it 24 hours a day so we could find you on there. But you said eight to six, so we'll go with that. So we certainly appreciate that. Again, our guest is Jackie DeAngelis, correspondent for Fox Business. Jackie, thanks so much for joining us today. Sure thing. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to Small Cap Stocks Today, your best source for information on small cap stocks coast to coast with your host, Dave Donlin. Join us again soon for another edition of Small Cap Stocks Today. This program is entirely produced and sponsored by Cervell Group, which is responsible for the content. Opinions and information provided on this program are those of the guests and those of the respective companies they represent and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff or management of Cervell Group. Small Cap Stocks Today encourages all listeners of this program to do their due diligence and research when determining investment strategies that will work for them or to seek the assistance of an investment professional. The guests of this program may have paid for its distribution and are not directly affiliated with Cervell Group or Small Cap Stocks Today.